and reading, at their very best, are a social experience. Whether it be a book club, a poetry slam, or the production of a play, words are meant to be shared. I'm your host, Amy. And I'm your host, Carrie. We've been in a book club together for over a decade and enjoy talking about what we're reading, but in so many ways, we are opposites. Carrie is a cat lover, but I'm a dog nut. Amy loves a good party, while I prefer to wear my fuzzy socks while introverting on the couch. But books are the tie that binds. Each week, we have fun conversations with interesting people about how books and reading influence their lives. We will find out what books are on their nightstands and ask them about five things that make them who they are. We invite you to learn more about the many perks of being a book lover. We all had big plans for our quarantine free time, right? Maybe we wanted to Marie Kondo organize the whole house, learn how to make beautiful loaves of bread, or begin training for that marathon you've had on your bucket list. Our guest today, Robin Weiss, had a different kind of quarantine goal. She was determined to revitalize her reading life. This mother of nine, who's also a professor of public health at the University of Louisville, as well as a childbirth expert and doula, fell out of love with reading when she attended grad school. In the intervening years, her knowledge of new titles and authors got stuck in a time warp where she left off in the 1990s. So she formed an online quarantine book club with fellow readers across the country to help get her literary groove back. Robin talks to us about what past favorite authors she's happy to discover have published new books in recent years, what benefits the group gets from meeting weekly versus monthly, whether her book club is experiencing trauma bonding, and what happens when the quarantine is over. Amy and I are on week, feels like 540 of social distancing, and we have a guest who I have known for a very long time. Her name is Robin Weiss. She is a childbirth expert, a Renaissance woman, a book lover, and a quarantine book club organizer. Robin, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for inviting me. It gets me out of the rut of sitting in the living room. I will ask you a little bit about how you've been quarantining. I've been doing pretty well, but now I'm to the point where I'm getting extra needy and I'm calling Carrie two and three times a day, and she's probably (laughs) sick of it by now. How are you two doing? So I'm an introvert, and this has been a little bit of a nightmare for me. I know that some people are thriving with their family's home, and I love my family, and it was fun. You know, we played games, and we did fun things, and we ate meals together, And now it's kind of setting into the reality that I don't get five minutes alone. I literally am sitting in a closet right now because there are nine of us in the house. And this is the most alone I've felt in a very long time. So thank you for helping me find some solace. I'm going to be (laughs) returning to this closet a lot. And no one will look for me here because it's not even my closet. So you have nine children. I do. Yes, I can see why you might need to be in the closet for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, the youngest is 11. And so my friends that I talk to who have little ones at home are being forced to get up early and entertain all day. And my job is more, I have to put in place rules. You have to be out of bed during the week by 10, noon on the weekends. (laughs) I have to see your face. You can't just text me. You have to like (laughs) come see me. You have to spend so many hours outside of your room for some kids. And then also the fights that you have to break up. So we're actually doing pretty well. It's just different. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to all those things. So tell us a little bit about you and about the Quarantine Book Club and how it all came to be. So 
When we first started quarantine, and I will tell you, I have a background in public health. So I have had COVID-19 on my radar for a little bit longer than I think the average person did. So we started our quarantine in my family earlier than everyone else because I knew what was coming. And I, like many people, thought I am going to use this time to be ultra productive and do those things that have been on my list. I've always been a very avid reader. I love to read. I was reading two and three books a week up until the point I started grad school. So I will say grad school did beat the love of reading out of me (laughs) to a certain extent. And I have struggled to get back into it. I had a big long list of books I wanted to read. I always have been watching Carrie brag about her book club online. (laughs) And so envious and jealous. Sometimes I think I'm going to ask for an invitation. And other times I think, Robin, you don't have time in your life for a book club. So I thought this is my time, right? I'm going to take all of my skills I have at being online. And I'm going to parlay that into this amazing book club. And so I started a quarantine book club. What I didn't know was about 50,000 other people were starting quarantine book clubs. At the same time, everybody apparently had the same idea. We all wanted to read (laughs) a little bit more. And so I wound up combining with another friend of mine from California. It was actually the same name, quarantine book club. We're all very thoughtful and demonstrative in our language here. And original. And original, (laughs) yes. So I live in the Eastern time zone and she's in Pacific. So can I at least claim to have had it three hours sooner? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you get to have that honor. (laughs) Did you see that she had started one and you emailed her or texted her and said, how about we do this together? Or how did that happen? So she had posted on Facebook. She said, hey, I'm going to start a quarantine book club. Anybody want to join? And I basically was like, LOL, you're too late. Already did it. (laughs) And so we just decided that both of us had these fledging little groups and we would join. That is how we became the Quarantine Book Club. We shared the name, like quarantine came from mine and book club came from hers. (laughs) And we just combined the two to make the Quarantine Book Club. So she's in California. You're here. Where are some of the other people from? They are from all over. And obviously we have chunks of people around her who are local to her and chunks of people who are around me. And then we have a smattering of people. I think we have someone in New York, someone in Wisconsin. It's the United States so far, but we are not feeling like we're bound by any specific geography. What's the demographic, age and gender? And So, so far we are all female. And I would say we probably skew middle age up to, I think we have someone who's in her 80s. And so like 30 to 80, somewhere in there. Not intentionally. That's just kind of how it's worked. I think we all have varied backgrounds, which is kind of interesting. Are they all somebody you know or all somebody that the, the other co-administrator knows? Or are there some people who've sort of popped on there? Most of these people know somebody in the book club, and it might not be me, and it might not be the other person, but let's say I invite Lynn, and then Lynn invites somebody, that person at least knows Lynn. So everybody is there because they found somebody that way. So how does it work? Is it on Facebook? Is it on some other social media platform? So we carry on on Facebook. Like We do have a Facebook, which is nice because it provides that outlet during the week that 
you know, if you want to talk about that book or any book, or if you want to just chit chat, you can go and drop something in the Facebook group. But we also have weekly meetings on Mondays on Zoom. So we use Zoom and we meet for about an hour, hour and a half on Zoom. So that's how we've been conducting it using just those two things. And they've been very helpful. I am curious. So if you meet every week, are you doing a book a month and you're just meeting each week to see where everybody is? Or how does it work? So we are reading about a book a month, but we talk about other things. We also do some interesting questions that I find really fascinating. Like that's almost my favorite part. For example, what book made you want to read everything by that author? I think almost every one of us could answer that question. Mm -hmm. Even if we answer it, the book that made me never want to read anything by that author, (laughs) right? Like sometimes we're like, yeah, I'm done. But that also allows other people to say, yeah, no, that was a really awful book. But this book by that person, like that might might be better for you. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite ones was what words did you realize that you had been mispronouncing because you learned them by reading? Oh, so what were some of the words that people mentioned? Well, I mean, obviously you have things like characterization. Somebody <laughs> said that one. There are some words that I like Wednesday. Like mm-hmm. there were some common ones like that. It was just a fun conversation. And at first I felt very vulnerable going into it. You know, like, am I really going to admit to these people? Like this is a source of anxiety for me that I've mispronounced something. I will do mental gymnastics to get around a word I think I might mispronounce (laughs) just to avoid saying it. So this was a very soul bearing moment for me to talk about words that I have a little bit of problems, but everybody talking about, I was like, I'm not the only one. Mm -hmm. And then we talked about that meme that has gone around several times. And I love it. That says, don't make fun of people who mispronounce words. It means they learned it reading. Are you reading together one book? So the book club is reading The 13th Tale by Diane Sutterfield. And we're now auditioning new books so we can make a case for a new book. I mean, I guess in middle school, this would be you'd get up and, you know, talk about the book and try and sell it to everybody. It's a very school-like feel to it a little bit without the PowerPoints. You know, we don't dress up like the author or anything. Maybe I should try that. That might be really fun. Yeah, so we do spend about half the time talking about the book and then the other half the getting there in the chit chat and then there's the getting warmed up with some of these questions. So do you talk a little bit about the 13th tale every week or yeah. you so everybody yeah. sort of says where they are? Do you have like what you're saying about it being in school? Is it like, okay, by next week, we want everybody to have read to page 200? <laughs> people or- are done and some people are still in the first chapter. They come knowing like they're going to be spoiler alerts. And sometimes they'll say, oh, so-and-so, you might want to step away if you don't want to hear this. I think we're all trying to be super low-key and we don't want to put people out if they can't read the book. And I have totally been that person like where I didn't read enough. I'm like, I am the same spot I was last week. When you decided to start yours before you merged, did you have the vision in mind of what you wanted the book club to look like or to be like? I really just wanted it to be a place to gather and talk about books and hopefully rekindle that love of books that I have. I started the year with a goal of reading 15 books, which sounds really small. At first, I thought about 12, making a nice one book per month. And then I thought, you know, I used to read three and four books a week. Surely I can read 15 books. And yet my knowledge of books that are current is pretty bad, not very up to date. I have mostly stuck with authors that I'd found before. And if they have new books out, like maybe I was waiting for that next book. 
and I've been caught up. Now I'm, oh, they have three or four books since, since I've gotten out of grad school. So I really felt like I was providing the platform and I was hoping other people were going to bring some good books. So I was really looking for other people to help inform me about things that I might enjoy. Before grad school, before you had the love of reading beaten out of you, what genres did you like? What things did you enjoy reading? I read a little bit of many, many types of things. When I first started reading, it was very much middle school escapist kind of reading, right? So I did all of your typical Judy Bloom and, you know, reading all the naughty ones like forever. My mom, thankfully, while she was very strict about other things, really felt like books were completely safe and never put a limit on the books that I could read. And I'm very grateful for that. She felt, as I've come to agree as a parent, that your brain is going to protect you. If you read something and it's over your head, it's over your head. You know, if you read Harry Potter and you're a fourth grade and the scariest thing you can think of is a plain old snake, you're not going to conjure up what they come up with in the movie, mm-hmm. which might be much scarier. Or Fluffy, the three-headed dog, right? So I have continued that in my parenting. So I went completely through Stephen King. I was reading it. I was actually... a a military police officer in the 101st Airborne Division. So about as big and buff and scary as I ever want to be. And I remember (laughs) reading it and not being able to finish it. So now there's enough cultural reference that I kind of get what it was. That's one of the few books I've never finished. So did that, found Jeffrey Deaver, read a lot of Maeve Binchy. I loved Audrey Niffenegger, The Time Traveler's Wife. So I've read a little bit of everything. My 10th grade teacher recognized that I love to read. And rather than forcing me to read the things that everybody else in class was reading, gave me carte blanche to read this huge list. She just gave me lists and lists of books that I could pick from. And she would say, you know, this book or this book might be really good for you. Or there's something that's not on here that you can bring to me that you can make a case for. I will let you read it. And so I wound up reading some really great books that I probably never would have picked up. One that stands out in my mind is still one of my favorite books is On the Beach by Neville Shute. Tish Moore, if you're out there, like, I love you. Thank you for everything you've done for me in terms of reading. I've actually written books in my field, and one of them is dedicated to Mrs. Morris. That's such yeah. a moment right there. I know. You can't beat a really good teacher. You can't. make such an important difference in your life. So have you learned or have you heard of books as a result of meeting up with your book club every week that somebody's talked up something else they're reading that you're like, oh, that sounds pretty good? I think one of the best things I did was I had forgotten an author that I really enjoyed and I found out they had new books out. So that was exciting to me. So actually it was two. It was Nelson DeMille and it was Jeffrey Deaver. I don't think I've read anything by either one of those authors. Oh, good books. No. If you're going to start with Jeffrey Deaver, you want to start with The Bone Collector. It was actually made into a movie. It's not his first book. That was the first book I read. It's the first of the Lincoln Rhyme novels. It's about a quadriplegic police detective. Fascinating book. That was one of the first books I remember enjoying it so much. I was reading a lot of thriller mystery type novels and, you know, you can only read so much James Patterson before you know what's coming on the next page, right? And this was the first book I'd read in a long time where I was like, I know what's going to happen. Oh, crap. I did not expect that. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then I'm like, okay, I've got this worked out. Oh my gosh, no, <laughs> you know, like four or five times in the same book. That's a good book. And so it was interesting because I really put on a teacher like brain and went back and read his previous books. And I would say, oh, that's where he was trying this out. And that's where he learned how to do this. And so it was really fascinating to just kind of dig into the past of what he'd written and how it worked. So I had not read any Jeffrey Deaver in a very long time. I felt like his publisher was pushing him to publish for a while. And so I read a couple of books that were like, eh, they were fine. They were Jeffrey Deaver. But, you know, I love the eloquence of his word structure. And they were still nice books, but they were not that three or four surprises in there for me. So I was like, okay. So I hadn't read probably 10 or 12 years. And so hearing that, and they were like, this is the best one ever. So. I'm excited. I don't even know the name of it, but I have put it on my list to buy. That's my next book. And you mentioned Neville. Nelson Nelson DeMille. DeMille. Have you read anything by him, Amy? I have not, but I think I have one of his books on my shelves. Is there one maybe like The Gold Coast? Yes. I think that's the one I have. So Nelson DeMille, he has a lot of really strong male characters, strong female characters, and has written just a ton of books. One of my favorites that I read in high school was The Charm School. And it was a little bit spy novel, a little bit thriller, a little bit romance. It was very, very interesting. So he has written just a ton of different ones. The Gold Coast is a favorite of mine. The other thing that he wrote was The General's Daughter. I think that was the first one that I read. And that was actually a movie that was made, I don't know, in the 90s. So Nelson DeMille, nice, solid, interesting characters, lots of different backgrounds, right? So sometimes you're in the Middle East, sometimes you're in the Gold Coast of New York, sometimes you're at West Point, a little bit of everything for a little bit of everyone. Yeah, I've never heard of either of those writers. So I'm interested in your Zoom meetings a little bit, because I think probably everybody at this point now has, has done some kind of Zoom meeting. Yes. So I'm wondering how that works out for your book club meetings. About how many people do you have attending them? Usually about 10 to 15 people. Okay. So that's a, that's a generous number. So we did a book club meeting back in March on Zoom. And to be honest, it did not go very well because I think many of us had never used Zoom before. And there's some tricks to it, I think, to making a meeting work that way. And I'm just wondering, do you have any guidelines that you use? We don't have any guidelines, but I think most people are pretty used to Zoom by now. The other thing is none of us had expectations of what it would be like because this was not an offline book club that was forced to go to Zoom, which I think might cause more problems, right? I could see people coming to that book club and saying, wow, this isn't what I wanted. You know, the previous book club that I was in, we would get together once a month, somebody's house or a restaurant, you know, usually tried to loosely tie it to what we were studying or reading. And part of it was just being together with friends. The book was just what brought us there. And whoever hosted got to pick the book So very different feel to it. So I think that if if that was what you were used to, that this would feel very blah comparatively. Well, I think for our book club, when we met via Zoom in March, all of this was new 
And so I think everybody was more focused on freaking out (laughs) than we were on discussing the book at that point. And I don't think NTI for the kids hadn't started. One of our book club members was like fixing dinner. And so we were hearing clang, clang. It was very chaotic. But I think by last month, we had our heads a little bit back together. But I do think you make a, a good point that we sort of have an expectation of what our book club is supposed to be. And because of social distancing, it just hasn't been the same. So I, I do think that makes a difference. On your Zoom calls, do you all use the mute button? Does everybody have to mute themselves? This was our big thing on our Zoom because no one used the mute button at first. And that's when we could hear everybody making their dinners. But the second one, we used the mute button and it went much better. Unless you were going to say something. But you all don't do that? Well, we let people self-mute. We don't, you know, there's no policing about it. So I have been on calls where the moderator is like, I don't trust you all to be grownups. You may not have your own mute button control. Like I am the (laughs) purveyor of all. So it's not like that. But so for example... I will mute and then unmute myself when my daughters are screaming, right? Or the dog, you know, the mailman came and yeah. might be attacking our house and the dog has to alert me to the danger, which only happens when I speak, by the way. So, <laughs> Well, I meant self-policing. Hopefully I'm not, I'm not that much of a control freak. I might be closed, <laughs> but I'm not there yet. Although Amy, I can just hear by the tenor of your voice that this whole thing is blowing your mind. <laughs> Just a tad. <laughs> she she's getting the willies like how how does this work i'm not sure i understand <laughs> well you know i just need to help process it in my brain that's all <laughs> when you decided to do this what were you hoping to get from it adult conversation about good books so i i wanted that personal recommendation of books i wanted to be able to discuss books in a way that I have not discussed books in a while, even if it's, what if there was an alternative ending? What would that look like? Or I was really angry when the author did this, or I loved it when the author did that, right? Just even having those conversations. I wanted to read and I felt like the accountability of the group would also help me. It's so easy to roll over at night and play Candy Crush. (laughs) (laughs) But I I get so much more out of rolling over, picking up my Kindle and reading a book. (laughs) Even if it's just two or three swipes, right? (laughs) I want to be with other people discussing interesting topics, you know, and books are great vehicles for that. Whether it's an emotion or whether it's an experience or whether it's a concept, being able to have thoughtful conversation, even about inconsequential things, is something that so many of us are lacking. And when we don't flex those muscles, we lose them. What do you think have been the challenges to doing a quarantine book club? I think the challenge for us has been a little bit finding the time picking a time that's good for everyone. How did you do that with half of you being on the West Coast and half being on the East Coast? Well, so they wanted early morning, which typically would have been okay. But I also have kids doing NTI. I have three college kids here trying to take finals. I'm a college professor, right? Like, we had a lot of schooling going on. So sometimes middle of the day wasn't optimal for me. And there are times where I'll have to be late or leave early because I have to go to another meeting. So those of us on Eastern time, I think, well, I'm speaking for myself. Other people are fine with it. So I've been a little bit in and out sometimes, which I hate because 
then I feel like I missed something. And I'm probably a little quieter, you know, when I come in late or when I leave early. I think we finally found that sweet spot around 11 o'clock their time, 2 o'clock our time. So trying to get the whole of United States in at once. And we have talked about varying it, right? So doing some that are later in the evening for us, which would be in the afternoon for them or trying to figure out what works. Why did you decide to meet weekly instead of monthly? Hmm. I don't know. I wish I had a good answer to that question. I think it just seemed like a good, we were enjoying talking with each other and it was a nice way to have some socializing. And since we had such low key stakes about, you know, oh, if you haven't read anymore, that's okay. Do you think too, it's because not that you don't have things competing with your time Mm -hmm. because you still do, but it's a different kind of competition, I guess. I couldn't do a book club that meets in person every week because you've got drive time and all the other things. Whereas right now you're not doing all that. And so the preparation or the other things that are competing, they just aren't there right now. Right. So absolutely that does play into it. And I think that when we meet monthly, there are so many other things going on in our lives. Plus if you have stringent rules, like you have to have read the book, you can't read a book a week in the course of most people's lives. That just wouldn't happen. And I think that meeting monthly, if you're meeting in person and you have those expectations that you will have read the book, that it gives that variation for the person who's going to sit down, consume the book in one sitting and be done, whether they do it in week one or week four. And then the person who methodically takes 400 pages and divides each you know, there are 28 days and 400 pages, and right? So we know that there are people out there who are like, I have to read 26 pages today. So everybody's going to have a little bit different. Although I know that as technology around reading has changed and people have altered how they read. So for example, the use of Kindle or the use of Audible or books on tape in general, reading during driving time, driving time has severely been cut. So if that was where you got your reading time in, so for example, my physical therapist, she and I like to talk books. We have our own little mini book club (laughs) while she's working on my knees. We talk (laughs) about books, but she always listened in the car. And so when she talked about how long a book was, she's like, do you know this book is 26 hours long? If you're reading on Kindle, you're like, I've only read 7% of the book. Is there anything that you've gotten from being in the quarantine book club that surprised you? How much I'm enjoying it just for the chit chat, just that adult conversation. I have two 22-year-olds and a 19-year-old and two 17-year-olds along with my husband who's mumble mumble years old. (laughs) But I feel like they have gotten to the point where we can have really good conversations with them about some pretty adult-like topics, but it's just not the same because they don't have that experience behind it. Mm They are still in that phase where it's all new and theoretical. And I love having those kinds of conversations with them, right? And to watch how they think and to watch how they experience things for the first time. But that's different than saying, yeah, I did that too. And here's what happened with me. I told my husband the other day, I'm just feeling like I want to explode recently because I just need some adult conversation. And he says, well, I'm an adult. We, we, I'm here with you. And I said, I know. I need another adult beside you. <laughs> I love you, but I need another adult. And I have adult children too. But I mean, and I can have interesting conversations with them, but not the kind of conversations that we're talking about. 
right now, probably. So I totally get where you're coming from. So that. I think that was the thing that really surprised me about the book club. So do you think that once social distancing eases and, you know, who knows what quote unquote normal is going to look like, but do you expect that the quarantine book club will continue to be the non-quarantine book club at some point? I think this has the possibility to definitely do that. And I think about a group that I'm a part of, and we've been together for 23 years now, and that is the October 97 pregnancy group that I met on an email list. And 23 years later, we're still going strong. The only thing we had in common was that we were all expecting babies in October of 1997. And these women have become very important to me. We had 20 of us on a Zoom call on Friday night to celebrate one of their birthdays. Hmm. And we had people from Europe and we had people from Canada and we had people all across the United States. And it was just a lot of fun. And that bond, I think that was the thing we didn't understand when the internet started was that you could have real friendships with people that you had never met. And even on that Zoom call with these women that I could tell you intimate details about their lives, I realized I'd never seen a picture of one of the people. Or if I had, it's been so long, I do not even remember. Hmm. I recognized her name, obviously. And I was like, oh, that's what you look like. (laughs) You know, but I could tell you all about, you know, the health crises that have befallen her and her family in the last few years and how her children are doing. Like I could tell you all of those things. And so I think that we also understand that during times like this, there's trauma bonding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are we doing some trauma bonding? You know, is this our respite from the world? That's yet to be determined officially, but I really enjoy these people. And I don't want it to be over just because some arbitrary governor tells us to do something or not do something. And whose governor do we go by? Like which state? (laughs) So I'm going to advocate that we keep it open. We have not yet discussed this because we are all just very in the moment kind of people. All right. Well, we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about what we're reading. We are back with Robin Weiss and with Carrie. And Carrie, what are you reading? Okay, let me start by saying I watched The Witcher on Netflix. I guess it was, you know, I guess after the first of the year. I don't I don't know. Time is really all over the place right now for me. But anyway, when it first came out on Netflix, I watched it and I loved it. I can really get into high fantasy. As soon as I saw it, I was like, putting the books on my TBR list. And so I was like, okay, well, which book should I read first? So I did a a search and what came up, Blood of Elves. And it is a novel of The Witcher and it's by Andrzej Sapkowski and he's a Polish writer. And so I started reading this book and I'm 300 pages in and I started reading this book and I was like, you know, if I had not seen The Witcher on Netflix, I would not know what was going on based on this book. So then I thought, you know, let's let's do a little bit more research. Well, apparently <laughs> this is the first novel of the series, but it is actually the third book 
of the series. Apparently, Sapkowski wrote short stories that began the Witcher series, and those have all been collected into two books. The first one is called The Last Wish, and the second one is called Sword of Destiny. And The Last Wish I just borrowed today on Kindle. So I will be starting that like as soon as we're done recording. But apparently those tell the story so that by the time you get into the novel, if you haven't already seen the Netflix show, you will understand what's going on. So the whole point of this is if you love The Witcher, if you thought that was a great series on Netflix, you're going to like the books. But if you haven't watched The Witcher, you need to start with the two books that I did not start with. And those are called The Last Wish and Sword of Destiny. If you haven't watched The Witcher, it's about this man who is called a witcher. His name is Gerald of Rivia. And he is basically like a monster hunter. But people who become witchers go through some kind of mutation or trial where they are genetically altered in some way so that they have the strength and the ability to kill monsters. And so there's all sorts of wizards and magic and creatures, and it's just totally my jam and and I like it. So if high fantasy isn't your thing, then probably you wouldn't like this, but I'm totally digging it. So that's my, what I've been reading. My husband and my son both watched The Witcher and they really enjoyed it. It's a little too out there for me. <laughs> <laughs> no surprise. But I'm wondering, is it translated from Polish or did he write it in English? Do you know? Uh, I don't know. I know that I am not reading it in Polish. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought not- you... <laughs> I was like, really, Amy? You know I don't. I can't read Polish. No. Come on. I just meant originally. (laughs) Uh, Yes. English translation, copyright 2008. So it was written in Polish. How many books are in the series? Oh, gosh. I want to say six or more. Okay. Yeah. If you're a series lover, then that's good. Yeah. I can't promise that after this one... Uh, well, let me let me say, I am going to read the first two short story books, but I don't know that I will continue after the third book just because, you know, six books. I didn't realize that, that the book I'm reading was going to require two other books, so I can't <laughs> promise that I'll keep going. Well, Robin, what have you been reading? So I've been reading The Murmur of Bees by Sophia Segovia. And it was recommended to me by my physical therapist. We have some great talks. She's in a book club and I either get to hear about the book she loves or the book she hates. But this was one that she kind of mentioned off the cuff to me. And it just hit me in just the right moment. She was like, you know what? You'd probably really like this book. And so I thought, oh, okay. So I had just figured out that my Kindle books sometimes would read the story to me. And I've not done a lot of books on tape or anything like that, but I had several very long drives coming, like four or five hours in the car by myself without stopping. So I thought, this sounds like something that I would really like. So I started or listening to it, and at first it talks a little bit about this person who's breastfeeding. I was like, did she just say that? Because I do pregnancy and parenting stuff. Is this going to be like this book? Like I didn't really even read the cover of the book. I just hit play. And so I had no idea what it was about. And 
they actually have a part of it talking about the 1918 pandemic in a very story-like way, but it was very visceral. And this part I was reading in February Mm. and public health is my background. So I was very fascinated by this part of the story. It's actually been, I've been thinking a lot about it (laughs) in the last few months and how, you know, how these stories of the people who said, we're going to take our people and we're going to stay inside. And the people who are like, screw you, we're going outside and who fared better than the rest. And so I am now into the part of the book where they're trying to rebuild their lives after this. And so I've taken a little bit of a moratorium on reading it because it's just too real right now, but I love it. And I can't wait to get back to it. So that's the burning one that I want to read. That one's also a translation. It's a it Mexican is. author. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to gather again, still haven't read the back of the book. So I don't know what it supposedly is about, but I'm about 13 hours into the 26 hour book. And it says the chapters are read, but one's a man and one's a woman and they're not always the same person. So I'm trying to figure out the pattern of who's reading what and why. So it's very fascinating, but I'm really enjoying it. It's got some touches of magical realism in it, doesn't it? Yes. And I haven't quite figured out how they play into it. Yeah. It says I have eight hours and 35 minutes left in the book and I'm 41% through. So Amy, is this the one that you mentioned on one of your mini phone calls to me? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Was this the one that you were wondering if it was too like sciencey? No. I said I was worried it was too long for our book. Oh, gotcha. gotcha, I think it's just slightly under 500 pages. And there are some people who would revolt if we picked a book that long. But I had a friend of mine who I trust her opinion on books. I mean, I haven't seen her in years, but she texted me out of the blue recommending saying I had to read it. So that's why I'm particularly interested in it. But I want to go back to your Kindle is reading the book to you. So is it like a setting? I don't usually use Kindle, but how is it reading to you? When I'm in the Kindle, right now I'm looking at it on my phone and it's just got like a little triangle, like the play triangle. So all those people who use Kindle, I want to hear back from you. If you try to press play and will it read to you? I want to, I want to hear back. That's a good tip. If it works for anybody, but Robin, (laughs) (laughs) she might be special. Well, she is special. (laughs) She is special. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I'm texting Carrie a image of it. Oh, cool. Amy, do you remember how you had been telling me I should read that Tana French book? Yeah. And then our friend Lisa posted it on Facebook and I'm like, I'll take it. And Amy said, oh, you did. I've been trying to get you to read that forever. Well, now I know, Amy, you just mentioned this book, but now that Robin has talked about it, I'm like, well, that sounds pretty interesting. <laughs> so yeah. maybe we should yeah. read that. All right. I'm getting the hint here. <laughs> Maybe it's because we just talk books so much. Maybe. You think that's it? it could that be. could be. It could we, maybe you tell me about a lot of books. I do. You're right. It yeah. could also be a marketing <laughs> principle, right? You have to be exposed to the book so many times before. That's you true. That's true. That's what it is, Amy. All right. Well, Amy, what have you been reading? 
Well, the reason I was so interested in the fact that both of your books were translations is that the one that I'm going to talk about today is also a translation. <laughs> so I read a book called The Braid by Letitia Colombani, and she's a French screenwriter and director. And this book was published in France in 2017, and it was a huge hit over there. It was a bestseller. And then it was translated and published in the U.S. and U.K. late last year in 2019. And our same friend, Lisa, loaned me this book. But what drew me to this book is the unique structure of it. So there are three main characters. All are women. They live in different parts of the world, have different social standing, and they have different challenges to overcome. And each chapter alternates points of view between these three women. And if you think about the title of the book, The Braid, you think of three separate sections of hair that you intertwine over and under, over and under. And the three stories of the women in this book also become intertwined as we progress through the book until it all comes together at the very end. But the interesting thing is that the three women, they never meet and they don't really even know that the other ones exist. So the first woman is named Smita. I might be saying that wrong. Maybe it's Smita. She's a low caste untouchable from India. And her profession is literally to remove feces from the latrines of the Brahmin class. And she has a six-year-old daughter and she is determined that her daughter is not going to have the same life that she has. So she leaves her husband and she sets off across India to find a better life. And then the second woman's name is Julia. And she's a young woman living in Sicily, Italy, who works for her family's wig business. And that business has been in the family for generations. So she and the other women in her village make wigs from real hair. And it's a craft that's become a dying art in her country. And when her father's in a terrible accident and he's in a coma, she's forced to face the company's finances and finds out that it's on the verge of bankruptcy. So she must come up with a way to save it or have her mother, her sisters, and all the women who work at the factory be forced into destitution. And then the third woman is Sarah, and she is a high-powered lawyer in Montreal, Canada. And she's twice divorced. She's got three young children, but she's dedicated her whole life to her job. She doesn't want the other lawyers at her firm to know that she really has a life. She doesn't want her family to get in the way. In fact, she goes as far as to like hide the car seats in her car before parking in the staff parking lot so as not to remind them that she is a mother. So when something threatens her career, she comes down with a serious illness. Her whole concept of herself becomes tenuous. So you can think of this book as being three separate short stories of each woman, and it's broken up by chapter by the other stories. So my friend who loaned it to me, she enjoyed it, but she felt a little frustrated that there wasn't more connection between the three stories. I didn't feel that same frustration. I liked the way that it played out. But if you're a person who gets aggravated with a book that doesn't come together right away, you have to wait a while to see where it's going to go. This may not be the book for you. It's fairly short. It's about 200 pages. It's easy to read. I think it's a great book to read if you want to explore the many different roles of women, how those roles differ with geography, and how they aren't so different after all. It's a great woman power book, I guess you could say. All right. Sounds good. Well, when we come back, we're going to be asking Robin her top five. We're back with 
Robin Weiss, and we're going to ask her her top five. Robin, you are an experienced doula and childbirth educator. Explain to us what a doula is, and what is the top reason you decided to pursue this as a profession? So a doula is a professional labor support person. So I meet families during their pregnancy and help them figure out the path for them to get the birth that they want to get, whatever that looks like for that family. And then I work with them during the birth to help them emotionally, mentally, physically, and informationally, again, to achieve that goal, doing that in the moment. Which choice do you make and where do you go from here, keeping in mind the things that they had originally wanted going in? And then following up with them postpartum and making sure that they are happy, healthy, and whole in the end. So why did I want to do this? Actually, reading plays into this. I was a military police officer in the 101st Airborne Division. I accidentally went to a birth. (laughs) Accidentally? Accidentally. (laughs) And I told my husband, OMG, we are never going to have any babies. You've already heard the punchline. (laughs) But I started reading, started trying to learn what was birth like. And this is really hard to believe now. But at the time, this was 1988, 1989 and there, there were only really two books widely available. And that was Glade B. Curtis's Your Pregnancy Week by Week and the brand new What to Expect When You're Expecting. That was about it in the late 80s, early 90s. And more books were coming, but they were hard to come by. And so I started reading and I started asking questions and I just became really fascinated. And so I wound up becoming a childbirth educator. And I'd been to almost 100 births before I ever heard the word doula. But using a doula has many benefits. And, you know, I've been a doula for over 30 years now and I train doulas and I've been doing that for over a quarter century. And so I love getting to help families. And so you are a professor at the University of Louisville in public health. Is your focus on childbirth? It is not. (laughs) So I teach a variety of different courses. I teach human resources in the public health sector. So talking about all those things that you would need to know if you were running a hospital and had an HR department. And I have taught health equity. I have taught maternal child health in the undergraduate program, which is one of my absolute favorite courses to teach. I love teaching in general. So I found my love of childbirth. I found my love of teaching. And then I just kind of sprinkle both everywhere whenever I can. (laughs) I think it's pretty funny that you said you never wanted to have babies and then you ended up having eight. (laughs) Well, I will say that with the exception of one of the twins, they were planned at the time, but like, it was like, okay, we'll have one. Well, okay, that wasn't so bad. We'll have two, right? So, so it was like we didn't say, "Oh, we're going to go zero to eight in one fell swoop." When we had four, we had two girls, two boys, this perfect family, as everybody would say, right? And everybody, of course, was like, "Oh my gosh, all those kids!" You know, I kind of jokingly looked at my husband. I'm like, "Hey, we've got one more seat in the minivan. Let's have another baby." And so after a couple months of talking about it, we decided, you know what? Yeah, we have enough love. We have enough space. We'll figure this out. Let's have another baby. And that's when we got twins. So we (laughs) outgrew the minivan in one fell swoop. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And after that, it was just like, oh, well, you know, we already (laughs) take two cars. (laughs) So, Robin, your daughter says that you have an interest in crochet. What types of things do you make and what's the top reason you like crocheting? 
So it's really kind of funny. I've always been fascinated with art and handmade things, and it is totally not something I'm very good at at all. And my mother used to knit. And in 10th grade, I made one thing. I made a V-neck sweater with a stripe. And I gave it to my boyfriend and my boyfriend dumped me. So oh my God. My knitting career. He didn't dump me over the sweater. Oh, <laughs> but well, like, well, that was one bad sweater. <laughs> it was an awesome sweater. He keeps everything. I'm friends with him on Facebook. Actually, I should actually say, I want the sweater back. <laughs> I gave up knitting. And, you know, eventually just kind of taught myself to crochet and I would crochet baby hats. And so I give them to my clients and I tell them things like, I usually have like a little card that I'll write that says something like, you know, just like motherhood, this is imperfect, but made with love and it still keeps you warm. So it, it just kind of keeps my hands busy. I really enjoy doing it. I don't do it enough. Sometimes I actually do it at births. If there's quiet lulls, if you're at an induction and people are sleeping or sometimes I'll just keep something like that in my bag. I think we've gotten a little bit of a sense of this, but as a mom to eight children, what is the top thing about having a full house that you so, enjoy or that you I was hate? Gonna say, one? I was going to say, reading this, there was some ambiguity in your words. <laughs> <laughs> the top thing. Hmm. So honestly, when we are all getting along, we have so much fun. I love this family so much. Although some days, if you ask me, like, I cannot stand a single person in my house. <laughs> but they know that I always love them. But we love to play games together. We just found a new app the other day. It's free. It's totally stupid, but it's also fun. It's called Space Team. And so basically everybody downloads this free game. It's very old style, Atari style graphics. It gives you a panel, like you're on a spaceship and you're in charge of this panel. And it's got all these made up words. And then it sends instructions and everybody has to scream out the instructions because they're for other people. And so you're just sitting in a room screaming at each other, <laughs> trying not to die. So it's a game where you're all in the same room, but it's on your phone. Yeah, it's a cooperative <laughs> game. So you all don't want to die. Like, no, but like half the room's not trying to kill the other half. Okay. But you're like, disengage the floofer nuffle. Somebody else is <laughs> like, you know, it's Cyber Gowner to three. And then it'll send these, like, as you get to the upper levels, everyone will get, it's an asteroid. Everybody shake. And you have to shake your phone. So <laughs> that sounds amazing. So you can imagine. Laughing produces endorphins. Endorphins are good for all that ails you. So, you know, in this time of quarantine, here's the thing. It sounds like a lot of people, right? But I challenge you to name eight people you love. I don't have a mess of kids. I have Hillary, Benjamin, Isaac, Emily, Lila, Owen, Clara, Ada, and Noah, and I love them. And when you think of it that way, when you think of them as individuals, that's a very different thing than to just say, I have eight kids. Question number four. Normally, you are in a car a lot as a result of driving your children places. What is the top thing you do in the car to keep yourself sane and or mentally occupied? So those are two very different things. <laughs> <sighs> so we'll make a confession on a podcast here. I play games with license plates. Oh. And not the goofy, not that it's goofy, but not like a, oh, check Ohio, check Indiana, check Kentucky. I sort of memorize license plates. 
So with the letters, we play a game. We'd see a license plate of a car in front of us. And let's say it was JTA. And you would say like, Jake talks a lot. And then somebody else would say a sentence and we would just kind of do that. It taught them that structure, like the thing in the middle always has to be a verb, right? To make it a sentence. So cool. So we do that. And then, but it it is kind of interesting because I'll be like, oh, I saw that car yesterday. I still remember license plates of my friends from high school. Like it's, it's a little (laughs) bit of a thing. Wow. (laughs) That's pretty impressive. I, I can't even remember the name of the show that we were watching last night. And you can remember. <laughs> well, I can't remember that either. Like important things, totally no space in my brain. <laughs> then I used to listen to a lot of radio and then I've switched to sort of podcasts and books. I'm trying to do some of that. And then honestly, I, in the last six months, have also found a lot of solace in quiet, just not having mm. anything, which was profound for me because at first I thought of it as my time to catch up on news or do these different things. So it was pretty profound for me to just be like, oh, I'm alone with my thoughts. It was a little scary at first, but I liked me. So it was okay. Yeah. Some days you need to just not have any sound. You just need just blissful quiet. When there isn't a quarantine, I know that you advise students to participate in KUNA and KYA. What are those things? And what's the top reason you like to volunteer? those? So KUNA and KYA are two programs put together by the Kentucky YMCA, and this program is well over 50 years old. So KYA stands for the Kentucky Youth Assembly, and it's a mock state government where high schoolers and middle schoolers over the course of seven different conferences, but it's the same style thing, come together and pretend to be senators and congress people, and they write bills, and they debate them and they vote on them and people run for governor and secretary of state and they're elected. Then they come back next year and whoever is elected at the previous year is now the governor. So it's a great way for people to understand how government works. So actually our current governor, Governor Andy Bashir, was a Y-Kid governor. And several of the bills that students have written, and again, this is about 7,000 students from around the state of Kentucky, several of the bills that have been written actually have been turned into real legislation by current legislators. So all of the bills that are passed at each of the conferences every year are sent in a packet to all of the legislators. And if they decide to take it up, a lot of times they will call the students and talk to them. Pretty fascinating. Yeah. And then CUNA is held in the spring, and it stands for the Kentucky United Nations Assembly. And so this is a mock United Nations. So again, the students come together. You bring your delegation from your school, depending on how many people are in your school. You may represent multiple countries. And then you go and you debate resolutions based on what your country would say or do. I remember doing this in high school and our country was the Sudan. And I still remember facts about the Sudan from doing it Mm -hmm. in high school. And so they have a security council, they elect secretary general. So this is run again by the Kentucky YMCA. And this year in the middle, I was at the last CUNA that was held this year and two others had to be canceled because of the coronavirus. It was really interesting to see that this amazing organization actually pivoted and brought it online. 
mm-hmm. within just a matter of weeks. They took two 1,200 people conferences. One was high school and one was middle school and brought them online and they did elections and they did debates and they did voting. And it was really fascinating and well done. And so I did this as a kid and it was very impressionable on me. And my kids have done it and I am now co-advisor for Three Delegations. So I just love this program and I'm happy to be able to take kids. I think it helps students get passionate about what's going on and that's important. What's been one of the most interesting countries or issues that they have done in either CUNA or KYA? So there are so many. One of the ones that has actually come to be here in the state is a couple of years ago, some high schoolers were doing variations on automatic voter registration when you got your license. Some of the students from the high school that I work with actually met with Allison Lundberg and Grimes. They worked together. They worked with various senators and congresspeople and wound up, yep, that was passed. And so now when a 16-year-old gets their state ID or gets their permit or their license, they're asked to identify a party and they are automatically registered to vote, even though they can't vote for two more years. They can obviously change that registration at any point, but through behavioral economics, we know that that's an important step of helping young people want to vote and learn to vote. And so that was really interesting. And then this year, I work with a homeschool delegation, and they were representing Benin. And they had a resolution, but they really felt like they were struggling to get what they needed to get about being in that country and understanding like why this was so important. And so somebody who lived close to Benin, and now I'm sorry, I do not remember where they were from, came to talk to our students and just understanding eh, borders aren't really important where we are. So it's easy for us to sit in our homes where maybe we have access to food and water and air conditioning and all these things, understanding that people don't have access to all of those things. So just Mm -hmm. enlightening students to understand that what they experience is not necessarily what every person their age is experiencing across the world. So very powerful. All right. Well, Robin, it has been so much fun catching up with you and learning all about the Quarantine Book Club. And we hope you and your family stay safe and continue having fun with the apps and everything you all are doing to get through these weeks of social distancing. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes for any episode, please go to our blog site at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. Follow us on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover and on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to and when new episodes air. If you enjoy our show, spread the word and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find us. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots, community-based radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.